I'm going to invite my brother AJ to come on up at this time. And AJ's the lead pastor. He's right behind me. That's what happens when you close your eyes and this sneaky dude comes up behind you. Anyways, let's give AJ a warm coastal welcome. I should have just put my two hands around his shoulders in the middle of prayer. It is so good to be with you. Uh, Jay and I have been chatting through the week because uh, two years ago, we got to pray over a small group of people at Yarmouth Wesleyan who believed that someday there should be a church in Barrington uh, designed for a certain kind of ministry, reaching out to people who are looking for a home church. And we prayed over, I don't know, maybe 25 people there that day. And you're here because some faithful people believed in a vision and a dream. And so I found myself thinking this morning, praying over 25 people, I wonder who will be part of a church someday at South Church that I may never meet, I may never bump into, but a few people had faith to step out. God blesses our faith. I don't know if you know that, but our God blesses when people risk and step out in faith. And so I won't be here next Sunday night when you have your second birthday, your second anniversary, but I just want to commend you. I just want to cheer you on and support you that you are doing a good work. And one of the verses that God's been kind of pounding in my head through the pandemic is Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good. We are living in such a negative time and negative culture and high critical of everybody. Can I just affirm the coastal people? I know it can be tiresome to set up and tear down every single week and do this portable church thing. Do not grow weary in doing good. Church, you are doing a good thing. I commend you. Now listen, I'm going to shift gears pretty quickly because that was just a, a bonus one-off. Uh, I know I don't get here very often, so it's always trying to find rapport in the short term. I don't know if I've preached here since last Christmas, maybe. It's been a while. And so every time I come here, I feel like I learn a little bit about you, and you probably learn a little bit about me. Maybe you don't care to learn anything about me, but too bad I got the microphone. So you're going to learn a little bit about me. And two things you need to know about me is I love watching sports. Any sports fans in the room? They're quiet sports fans, my heavens. <laughs> Barrington sports fans are quiet. At the same time, yell out your sport of choice. Oh, hockey. Oh, hockey was the dominant one. You're not going to like this intro. <laughs> Let me just tell you in advance. I love watching a good sporting event. I don't care if it's live or on TV. I love sports and I always have. <clears throat> Second thing you know about me is I love my wife. Any men here love their wives? Well, that was barely, that was barely better than sports. Barrington men, I think we're doing a men's conference next weekend. I love sports and I love my wife. Do you know what I don't love? When they come together. Something happens when two things I love come together to create something I don't love. My wife, whom I love, will join me at the Super Bowl. When I say at the Super Bowl, I mean at the TV screen where I'm watching it. Will not have watched any football the entire year. Will wait until the Super Bowl. Will join me at two minutes left in the half. Will sit down and say, what's that whistle floor? Why didn't that count? Which team is winning? Which team are you cheering for? <laughs> Not your team. Now, she says she's there for football. But I've noticed something. 
after she asks me questions about a game that she'll never understand because she watches for about two minutes once a season, after this halftime show is over, she vanishes. She shows up to see whatever ridiculous singer is singing at the halftime show, watches it, and then vanishes. Steps in for two minutes of maybe one of the most complex sports to watch, asks me a bunch of questions, and vanish. Now, she will say, I don't like watching with you because there's too many rules and I don't understand the game. And I say to her, if you watch the game, you will learn to appreciate the rules because the rules are there to help the game flourish. It makes the game beautiful. And so I don't know what sport, I mean, you all said hockey, but I, I threw a few pictures together, and by I threw a few pictures together, I asked Brett to throw a few pictures together. So let's get our first picture up here. It's a great game. Not a Red Sox logo. Just make sure you all see that. So baseball is a beautiful sport, and it's designed to flourish and function in a certain way. If you play baseball, you know the game is designed for nine innings. You know that when a player gets up to bat, there are nine defensive players. If you get up to bat someday and there are 17 defensive players on the field, something has gone terribly wrong. That's not how the game is designed to flourish. When the batter gets up to bat, he knows he's got four balls and three strikes to work with when he's at the plate. At no point does a batter get up and have to think, do I only have two strikes this time? Do I get four strikes this at bat? The game is designed to function a certain way. The offense also knows that the game is designed where you get to work with three outs. When you get three outs, inning swap, you're on defense, they're on offense. Now what happens is you can actually use one of your outs strategically to advance a runner, to bring in a run, a sacrifice fly, sacrifice bunt. You can use an out to your offensive advantage. It's how the game is beautifully designed. It makes baseball great. We've got another photo here. We got a little photo here of, of God's team. <laughs> little Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm on blocking up the Pittsburgh Steelers on that side. Uh, please tell me there's no New England Patriots fans here. I'm among friends then. I too am not a Patriots fan. And so football is designed beautifully. There's supposed to be 100 yards between end zone to end zone. That's how the game is designed. The quarterback knows if I want to get you the ball, I've got to get you the ball in the air. It can be forwards, it can be backwards, but at no point in time can I skip the ball off the field up to you doesn't work that way. It's not designed that way. And so the receivers never have to wonder, am I catching this in the air or off the ground? It's not designed to function that way. Third screen. I'll move this along pretty quick because you're thinking, what are we doing here? <laughs> there might be a Pentecostal church. Some of you can all go attend here tonight. <laughs> so you got this great sport of basketball. And when you watch basketball, you know that at all times you have to dribble the ball with your hands. If you use your feet, play is dead. At no point in basketball can you kick the ball. The play is dead. The whistle blows. You can't use your feet. It's designed to be a hands game. You also know that when you start dribbling from one end of the court, when you get to half, you can't start dribbling backwards across the half. Whistle blows. Play is dead. It's over. It's not designed that way. You know that you have 24 seconds on a shot clock. When you get the ball, you don't have to guess, do I have 12 seconds or do I have 49 seconds? It's 24. It's designed to function beautifully. Now, the game is not static if you watch sports because you know inside the game, inside its beautiful design, other things are happening like this photo. You know 
that while the game is designed beautifully, the coach has specific, uh, specific things he has to do. For example, if the, if the manager is coming talking to a pitcher, and if you play ball, the coach, the manager, may come out to you and say, stop throwing the curveball. You've thrown three curveballs to the last four batters, and they've taken you yard. You need to work the slider, the knuckleball, the fastball, but stop throwing the curveball. It's not working for you. You also know at this moment something is going to happen, right? Any baseball fans? He's done. (laughs) The only time a pitcher is ever giving the ball to a manager is when his day is over. You also have this going on in sports. Also God's country, sorry, God's team. Super Bowl, you got Santonio Holmes there. The rules state as defined in football, when the receiver catches the ball, the feet must be in the end zone. Now, what I picture the conversation happening in the Super Bowl was they were playing the Cardinals, and I picture, uh, I picture Tomlin talking to Holmes and saying, your defense keeps cheating you to the middle of the field. Your feet have to stay in bounds, but you are faster and more athletic with better hands. If you drift to the outside, I think Roethlisberger can put a pass on you that if you keep working it with your athleticism, you can grab that ball, toes inbound, and we might go home with a Super Bowl ring. Fact is, they did. That play is designed specifically for that receiver based on his talents. Last pitcher, and then I'm actually done the sports stuff. Greatest basketball player to ever touch a basketball. Thanks, bud. (laughs) Don't bring me talk about Kobe after the service. I don't want to hear about it. Best player, and I would even argue, Michael Jordan does not need a coach. There's nothing inside the defined game of basketball that he doesn't know, that he doesn't understand, and yet he is standing there talking to Phil Jackson in the middle of the game. And I wonder if Phil is saying to Michael, you're shooting drive to the hole. You are faster, more athletic, and you can hang in the air far better than anybody. I wonder if he's saying to him, you are sagging on defense. Scooch up. You are faster. You can make up the ground. There's this conversation happening between player and coach during the defined game as it is, def- as it is designed to function beautifully. If you like sports, you probably understand it's the in-game adjustments that makes the game beautiful, is it not? And you're wondering, who cares? (laughs) Humor me. Go to Acts chapter 2. If you brought your Bibles with you, if you bring your phones or tablets or whatever it is you bring the scriptures on, and I hope you do, I want to read a passage from Acts chapter 2, and I'll kind of move out of the way in case you need the screen. But Acts chapter 2 reads this way. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temples together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jay preached from Acts chapter 1 last week, and we're talking about our anchor points, and we're rooting our anchor points in anchor passages. Now, I can't think of many more scriptures that pastors have preached from, from Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. 
It's, it's, it's foundational to the church and kind of how we got here. Once upon a time, there was a group of people who gathered together for prayer before being commissioned and sent out on mission. And these guys waited in the upper room until the Holy Spirit came upon them and miraculous things happened where thousands of people came to faith in Jesus. You are here today because you are a direct descendant from that moment. If those disciples abandon their calling, it is arguable to say the church may never have been where it is today. Jesus entrusted his ministry to these 12. And so we're sitting here wondering, what would you do if 3,000 people in Barrington came to faith in Christ? And you're thinking, 3,000 people in Barrington, you have the wrong population. What would you do next Sunday if 500 people showed up here? What would you do if 1,000 people showed up? All of a sudden, it says, when 3,000 people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted. What an interesting word to put in front of the apostles' teaching, the scriptures. They devoted themselves. I wonder if we were writing this passage about the church in 2021, what word would we put in front of the apostles' teaching? Would we say that we have devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching, or would we say we have surveyed the apostles' teaching? We have skimmed the apostles' teaching. We have perused the apostles' teaching. We read a daily verse that the YouVersion Bible app gives us every day about the apostles' teaching. Maybe we'd say we're too busy to get the apostles' teaching. And for many of us, we could probably say, I tried the apostles' teaching, and I find it too hard to understand. Anybody with me? So many good people have said, all right, you know, I came to church and what a shock. The pastor's going to say we should read our Bibles. And pastor, I tried. I dove in. I started reading and I don't know what's going on. And some of you even said, I started a one-year Bible plan. And so here we go. Genesis chapter one. Any one-year Bible attempters out there? Give me those. Let's preach this together. Anybody try it? Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's fascinating. And you start poking along. And Genesis, you find, is an incredible narrative. You wrap up Genesis, and you go into Exodus. You're like, this is pretty good. This is story and narrative, and things are happening. And then you get to Leviticus, and the wheels come off. You start poking through Leviticus, and it's like, so you're telling me I can't wear clothes of two different materials? I can't trim the sides of my beard? You get to one chapter, and it is a chapter full, a list of people that you can't have sex with. You think I'm joking. It is just, don't have sex with this person, or this person, or this animal, or this thing. Like, this is the Bible. Who needed that? You're like, I this, is, this is way too weird. But some of you kept going, and you got into the battle scenes. We're nations fighting against nations, and you read a story about God using one nation to wipe out another nation. Nope. Not my God. No God I would worship would ever have people fight people. I'm done. And you couldn't track through with it, and the Bible became frustrating, and you would read about places that didn't make any sense to you, and the people who were doing it were names that we don't use in 21, and you found the scriptures frustrating. Amen? You can be honest. Thank you. And then for others of you, you're thinking, it's not frustrating. I just don't have time for that. I am far too busy. I got things to do. I've got work. I've got kids. I don't have time to sit down and read this book because that word devoted makes a ton of sense and you're not doing it. I would argue with you 
that our culture doesn't just want to be devoted to things. We are obsessed with being devoted to things. And I'll be honest, time isn't the issue. Have you noticed how you have time for the things you want to have time for? How easy is it to say, like, yeah, pastor, it sounds great to sit down and read my Bible in the morning. That sounds so idealistic. I don't have time for it. And yet, when I get home tonight, I'm going to watch the Steelers football game. All two and a half hours of it. After that, I might watch another game. I've got loads of time for football. I've got loads of time for sports. If I want to watch sports, I've got time for it. And some of you are thinking, sports are stupid. I hear you. May I ask you what you're watching on Netflix these days? <laughs> apparently, apparently, Netflix is a thriving business. Apparently, shows are being consumed with incredible ferocity. You're like, oh, have you seen the latest show? This guy, this woman, this government, it's crazy. And you can rattle off all the shows, the cast of characters, and here's the deal. You don't just know the cast of characters. You know who they're married to in real life. And you know the secret stuff they're going through. I know the tabloids. I know the drama. That one's got an addiction to this drug, and this person's cheating on this person. And did you see? We know so much about people who don't care about us. Like, oh, Netflix is stupid. Sports are stupid and TV's stupid. Can we talk about coffee for a few minutes? Any coffee snobs in the room? Yeah. Don't tell me you don't know how to devote yourselves to certain things. I got a few coffee snobs on staff. And they bring me these coffee beans like, look, I got this coffee bean. It was raised by fairies in Iceland. And it's super, super, super exotic. And I purchased all the beans in the world. There's only six coffee beans. And I have them all. I don't care. No, no, no. When we take these coffee beans and we refine them down to perfect refinement and then we boil the water to the perfect temperature. And listen, AJ, what we'll do is we'll take the hot water and we'll pour it into a mug and the mug will get warm. So we put the coffee in it. The mug is already warm. Just give them the coffee a nice warm hug. I don't care. Have you heard of Folgers? I pop that Keurig open. I pop an infinite number of K-cups in there. I close it. I hit go. We are devoted to the craziest things. Amen? I don't know what your quirky obsession is, but I bet you have one. So church, here's the deal. My issue and your issue is not time. Because I'm like you. I would love to say to you, listen, as a pastor, I reach this place where I just never struggle anymore. I just wake up every morning, drink my very normal Folgers coffee, and I read the Bible, the heavens open up, the light of the God of the God's glory comes down, and epiphany after epiphany after epiphany. Nope. Some days, I got a bunch of kids at home, I'm reading in a hurry. I'm reading, I'm helping a kid get breakfast, I'm helping kids get off to school. I'm like, God, I'm not understanding this today. I don't know what you're talking about. This is my job, and I don't know what he's talking about half the time. God, I'm going to have to dig harder. I'm going to have to meet with you later. And then I miss, and I forget. And I have issues the way you have issues, and I'm not perfect the way we're not perfect. My issue, and I'm guessing our issue, is not a time issue as it comes to the word. It's an appetite issue. 
What we need is not to say, God, I don't have time for this. I don't understand it. Don't say that. Here's a much better thing to say to the Lord. God, would you grant me an appetite for the apostles' teaching? God, would you help me to understand what's going on? God, I would love to read the whole Bible. Let's start with one chapter. I am committed to getting after the apostles' teaching. But it doesn't just say that. It says the apostles' teaching and to prayers. Prayers. Prayers are a really funny thing in the church. I don't know what rooms you lead or what rooms you're in charge of, but I've noticed when I find myself in charge of a room from time to time, the room will be real chatty, chat, 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 talk, 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 sports, 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 sports. And I want to get the room's attention. And I could say, all right, call this meeting to order. I've noticed they keep chatting. Do you want to know the most effective way to bring a room to dead silence? Just ask the room this question. Does anybody want to pray? I don't care if it's pastors, I don't care if it's board members, elders, you watch what happens. If you're in a room with people chatting, ask them, will somebody lead us in prayer? (laughs) I'm not making eye contact. (laughs) Somehow, prayer, a conversation between broken people and their heavenly father got convoluted. Somehow this simple conversation between us and God got turned into a thing where you need a PhD in theology. You need to have the eloquence of Shakespeare. Like, oh, I couldn't pray. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not, man, my grampy, that guy could pray. Man, my grandmother, she wore her knees out in prayer. Reverend so-and-so, that guy, when he prayed, the heavens opened up. Ah. I don't know what that all is. Prayer is a conversation between broken, busted up people talking to their heavenly father. That's what prayer is. Like, well, I couldn't. Do you know how to talk? That's it. God, my marriage is difficult. I need your help. God, my finances are pinned down. I need freedom. I, I, need, I, need, I need something, God. God, my kids are driving me crazy. If you don't do something, I'm sending one home. I've got kids. (laughs) Lord, I need you. It's talking to your heavenly father. And so you're thinking, yeah, you went to scripture and prayer, but if you notice this text, it says the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread in prayers. I'm drawing two out on purpose. Jay's been walking you through our anchor points this month. We'll do two more next month. It's not that I don't value the breaking of bread and getting together is that I think we already do that. I think as people in Southwest Nova, you already excel at relationships. You know who's coming down the road just based on the truck approaching you. You go to someone's house and you already know who you have to knock at and who who you can just walk in on. We do relationships well, agreed? And don't get me started on eating. We can eat, and some of you can cook. If you need some affirmation, you invite me over, I'll eat what you cook, and I'll affirm you. (laughs) People down here can cook. The issue is not do we do relationships and do we break bread together. The issue is are we doing those things wrapped in spiritual relationship? I think there are people in Southwest Nova, and specifically Barrington, that are relationally full but spiritually starving. 
meaning. Like, yeah, we're breaking bread, we're getting together for relationships, but I want to push it further. I want to have a more meaningful conversation. And what I would contend to you is the deeper you, you, you get into the apostles' teaching and scriptures and prayer, process that with somebody while you're breaking bread and having fellowship. So if you're thinking, did I just come to church just to hear a sermon that I should pray read my Bible? Mostly. The values we say about it, though, are specific. We want to be, as a church, scripture-rooted. We want to stand on and be planted in the scriptures. It's probably a come up there behind me, so I should move over a little bit. It's one of those, we want the value to be that we are a church that's scripture-rooted, and what that means for you and for me is we don't want to have a church that is pastor-opinion-rooted. Do you know what you don't need? Is Jason's opinions on marriage. Jason's opinions on marriage has never healed a marriage. You don't need Jason Parker's five thoughts on financial freedom. You don't need that. What you need is what is the voice of the Heavenly Father about marriage? What do the scriptures say about my finances? What happens is pastors come and go, and the next pastor turns the wheel and turns the wheel, and the church gets whiplashed, rallying around what does this pastor have to say about this issue? With all due respect, who cares? What your question is not, what does the pastor think about this issue, but is my pastor preaching scripture? That's what we care about. So you don't have to, you don't have to wonder what do I think about these things. What does the apostles' teaching say about these things? We want to be rooted in scripture. And the second thing we want to say is that we want to be prayer soaked. Not prayer damp, prayer soaked. We don't want to just sprinkle prayer on things. We want to bathe ourselves in prayer. And what we will say is we want to live and lead as people in conversation with God. So many times we think a prayer is fold your hands, bow your heads, say a little prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think what God is inviting us into is doing life in conversation with God. Which means while I'm preaching to you right now, I'm trying to listen to what God would have me say to you. Jay said, I preached this four times. But it's not been the exact same all four times. There are four different rooms. Does God have a fresh word for somebody in this room tonight? When I'm going home to, to chat with my wife, I'm listening to her, but I'm also listening to the father, what he's saying about the conversation. When you're going to work tomorrow, and you've got a heavy meeting at nine in the morning, don't walk in there and think, okay, I've got to nail this meeting. Say, God, what do you want to say to me about this meeting that's about to happen? I want to be in conversation with you where I'm living and leading, listening to my surroundings and listening to my Heavenly Father. Here's the sending word I want to give you. I think for the church, the scriptures are God's defined word for how we flourish. I think prayer is God's refined word for how I flourish. Let that sink in just for half a second. I think the scriptures... There we go. I think the scriptures are God's defined word for how we flourish, and I think prayer is God's refined word for how I flourish. I think, you can argue with me if you want, I think the scriptures are the rules to the game. I think the scriptures are the rules that make baseball flourish. Now, when you say rules in church, some people go, oh, don't say rules legalism, old church, a pastor screaming at me. No, that's not what I'm talking about. There's a rule in our house that the kids can't play on the street. 
Should my kids say, oh, legalism. <laughs> Dad, you suck. <laughs> it's a rule designed for my children to flourish. See, what happens is when we hear God say, thou shalt not, we think, God, why are you always stopping me from doing what I want to do? God is saying, no, I am putting boundaries and safe things in place so you can flourish and live a free life. And so when God's defined rules might say something like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's not up for negotiation, gentlemen. When I go home tonight and see my wife, the prayer is not, will I love my wife tonight? I don't get an opinion on that. That is God's defined rule for flourishing and for me to sleep well tonight. <laughs> but here's the beauty. Because God loves us so much, our coach knows how to speak into our game, our life situation, and say, listen, AJ, the defined rule, the defined word for you is to love your wife. But because you're an idiot, <laughs> shut your mouth once in a while. I've been known to talk a lot. I've been known to tell my wife what I think about things that she did not ask what I think about things. Because my coach loves me so much, he whispers in my ear, close your mouth if you want to love your wife. Your wife does not need a sermon. She needs you to listen to her. But here's the beautiful part. Some of you men in this room are not as chatty as I am. When you go home tonight, your word from your coach might not be to close your mouth. Your word might be to open your mouth. There are some wives in this room who I have not met with. Don't shoot me. There are some wives in this room that while they love their husbands, they find their husbands far too quiet. I don't know what my husband is thinking. I want him to speak. I want him to lead. And so when you pray to your heavenly father, your coach might whisper, open your mouth. Husbands, as you love your wives, maybe your word is to speak words of encouragement, words of life tonight. So what happens is, on our journey, God gives us a word. And then because he loves us, he speaks into us specifically as individual players, so to speak. He says, here's the word for you today. Now you still might be thinking, I don't care. Oh, but you do. Imagine if God just set this all up. Here's the defined rules. Here's how life's going to function. I spin the world and I walk away. It's called deism. God put the world in motion and doesn't care. Struggle, ask for help. It doesn't matter. I'm not coming to your rescue because I don't care. Your heavenly father loves you so much. He set the world up in a way to function and flourish. And then he looks down and sees each and every one of you. And if you are humble enough to ask for a conversation with him, he will give you a fresh word in your specific situation. God, I need financial advice. He will not give generic advice. He'll speak into your life. God, I need parenting advice. He won't give generic. He'll speak specifically into your situation. So church, maybe you need to have a fresh word tonight. Maybe you've heard all the verses, you've got all the defined words nailed down. You're like, I don't need another chapter and verse. I need a fresh word to my life and situation. Here's my word to you. He wants to give it to you. 
He wants to speak into your life, your marriage, your parenting, your work, your hobbies, your finances. He wants to speak fresh to you because He cares and He loves you.